Today we get to continue our series, I Love Philly. I Love Philly. In these last four weeks, well, in these four weeks, excuse me, since last week and in these next two weeks after this, we've been looking at one man and the city that he loves. One man and the city that, that he loves. The man is Paul, man, a great leader inside of the New Testament at that time. And the city is the city of Philippi, the city of Philippi. Paul traveled around after he, he kind of got his, his start in ministry. He traveled around, and he started churches all over this area, all these different cities over in the Middle East. He started these, these churches, and what he would do is he would write them every so often, and he would, he would correct them if there was something going on wrong. He would, he would tell them, don't be doing this. He would encourage them in things they should be doing. He'd connect with them through these letters and try to encourage them to really live out everything that they were supposed to be. But the letter of Philippians is kind of different than all the other ones. All those different letters, they're all to a group of people. So Philippians are to the people in Philippi, and and Colossians would be to the people in Colossae and stuff. But Philippians is different, and this is why. Philippians has this this extremely warm, tender tone when he starts it. People who've who've studied this for a long time, and, and even just me as I read over it, you notice how he starts this letter is different than any others. A lot of times he's writing, and he's kind of right to the point, kind of to the business, and he corrects them. But Philippians starts with a whole different feel. I think it's interesting. He says in Philippians 1, 7 through 8, right at the beginning of his letter, So it's right that I should feel as I do about you. For you have, been a spe- you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. Paul, man, he, he loved the church of Philippi. He loved that, that city. And I think if Paul's hanging out with his bros, sitting around, my guess is he didn't say Philippi every time, right? He's probably just like, man, I love Philly. I love that place. Remember when we were hanging out in Philly? The people there are so nice. Maybe Philippians was the original brotherly love. Who knows, right? Like the original city that was like that. And he's like, just everyone's so cool there, man. They, they're the best people. And, and he, that's how he starts it. He says, man, I, I love you guys. I long to hang out with you guys again. Paul would say, man, I love Philly. We're going through this book chapter by chapter by chapter. So last week we talked about, we talked about Philippians 1. This week, Philippians 2. Can anyone guess which chapter we're talking about next week? Oh, good job, guys. Philippians 3, yes, next week. It wasn't a trick question. Everyone's like, he's going to get us. I'm going to say 3, and he's like, no. Yes, we're going to be talking about Philippians 3 next week. No trick questions here as we go through this book. And also, I was encouraging you guys, if you can, to take time to read through this book on your own. It's very short, four chapters, easily readable within a day. But I said, even if you don't read much, read a chapter a day, and you can finish it by the end of your week. And read through this because I'm telling you, it has really, really great stuff. My goal is by the time we finish June, we get into July, that if you ever hear someone say, man, they talk about the book of Philippians, maybe I reference it in a message or someone else references it, you'd say, oh, Philippians, I love Philly. I love Philly. That's a good book. Man, I I know about that, and it means so, so much to me. I had you do that quick little exercise, talking to your friends, sharing those most disliked qualities, because I want to talk about one today. Like one of my most disliked, I don't know if it's the exactly the most, but one of them that stands out to me of like, I cannot stand it in people, of a character trait, is selfishness. Selfishness. I can't stand that in people. People who I've known for years, if they're a person who is just, they just have a selfish character about them, 
they just grind on me. It's like sandpaper. There's just something about them that I find so irritating. They're just 100% about them, and everything is focused on them, and, and they don't really even see the world around them. Anyone else is selfishness, like a huge, like, yeah, I can't stand that in people. Anyone else? Raise your hand with me. Yes, people like selfishness, right? Annoying, kind of disgusting, kind of puts you on edge. It's kind of grimy, right? We've met these people. They're the people who you sit down and you have a conversation with them, and they talk and talk, and talk, and talk, and talk, and talk, and talk, and talk about their life, and then don't ask you a single question about yours, right? And then I did, and then this, and then this, and then this, and you leave the, I like, I had coffee with them, and I literally said, like, my day was good. That was all I got to share in the conversation. The rest of it was just you talking about you for the next hour, wow, and those people you realize, like, you are really selfish. I mean, you're just 100% about, about what's going on in your life, not even interested in what's happening in mine or the people around you. Or maybe you've had uh, friends before or family members, or people you've hung out with where they're kind of selfish, and they're those people who are the super, super stingy people, right? No generosity within them. There is zero generosity there. Someone needs a helping hand. Someone needs a few dollars. They are never the person who's going to help, right? Just 100%. If my money is my money, and I would never. They're just like, come on, man. There's no generosity in them. And just that, that selfishness, if nothing else, you realize definitely that is an unattractive character trait, right? Like no one meets somebody and like, you know what I just love about that person? How selfish they are. I just love how they are all about them. Selfishness is not an attractive quality to us. We love the opposite. We love people who are selfless. Surely stories that we've heard throughout generations, the stories we retell are about people who are great selfless people. No one tells stories about great selfish people, do they? And could you believe it? He spent it all on himself. And people are like, wow right? No one shares that story. They share the story of the guy who gives up what he had or takes all of his money and invests it into to, to someone else and gives away his millions or whatever. Those those stories we tell, we're like, and he's so selfless. All of us have probably been annoyed by these people over the time of our, of our lifespan, but the problem is all of us, every one of us, have a tendency to become selfish. All of us do. In all reality, I believe all of us have a natural curve in our step that leads us towards selfishness. Without being checked, one of our legs must be longer or something, and sooner or later we just kind of turn into selfishness, right? If we're not thinking about it, that's where we end up. Sometimes it's accidentally. Sometimes, unfortunately, it's not accidentally that we end up there. We end up there kind of intentionally. Maybe in the past we had, we had helped people. And somebody was so ungrateful for what we had done. We've done something, we've given something, we've helped. And people were so ungrateful that you kind of get this feeling of, you know, they didn't even appreciate that. And you kind of get this feeling of, maybe I just won't do that anymore. Or maybe even, I mean, worse than that, maybe there literally was a situation that you walked into where someone really actually took advantage of your kindness. Not just the fact that they were ungrateful. They purposely drew stuff out of you. They took from you. They misused your trust. They misused your finances, your energy, whatever it was. And you kind of walked away from it scarred and said, I'm never doing that again. I'm just going to focus. I'm not, money's mine. The time's mine. It's, it's just, I'm not doing that again. And we can have this feeling where all of a sudden we can kind of root ourselves in a path of selfishness. Well, this is bad for 
for you in your life. I can tell you it's bad for your relationships. It's bad for um, you if you're in business, anything like that. Selfish people, most commonly you read stuff about even really, really successful business people, the most successful business people, they're usually not the most, success, most selfish people, believe it or not. They're usually extremely generous people who make it far in business. But even more than all of that, if we walk towards and we find ourselves in selfishness, I tell you it has terrible ramifications for our faith. Terrible ramifications in our faith. When we find ourselves in a selfish place where it's all about us and our focus is on ourselves and our own time and our own energy and our own effort, and that's it, man, we find ourselves really, really disconnected from what God wants to do in our life. Paul mentions this. He's writing to the Philippians, and he kind of, he identifies us right as he gets in the second chapter. We talked about the first chapter, and right away is kind of this loving connection, and he begins to encourage people. And right when he jumps into the second chapter, he immediately kind of goes into something that attacks this. So maybe this is a problem in Philippians. Maybe in all reality, this is just, this is a problem for all of us. So Paul kind of addresses it, and we're going to read Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Read this with me. It'll be up on the screens or if you have a Bible in your hands. It says, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now, as we jump down in this 6 through 11, um, I don't know how it appears exactly on the screens, but this would have been, most scholars think, either a song or some sort of reading in the church. They said, when you look at this, it's written different. It's written like basically something that maybe at this time was like something everyone would stand and say together in church, or maybe it was a song that they would sing in church. And Paul's referencing it and saying, like this, and he kind of puts this song in there that the Christians at the time would have known. He says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And then he recites, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He shares this song about Jesus. As he's talking to the Philippians, he says, don't be selfish. And he says, be like Christ. And he shares this picture of Jesus. Man, if there was ever someone in the course of history that we can look at who, I mean, just embodies the fact of not being selfish, of stepping out into selflessness, it's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. He's telling the story of him where he says, Jesus, he literally stepped down from heaven onto earth. He left this, this close connection with God and the Holy Spirit to come here in human form to be slightly disconnected with God. He says that they left sitting in heaven as a king, as a king, the one in control, to come and to be a slave here on earth, the son of a poor carpenter. That he left a position of being in complete control, of being the one who controlled everything, and came to a place where he was born as a humble child who was needing all care from Mary just to survive. That he left 
a place where he was being served. He was being taken care of and said, I come to this earth to serve those who are here on it. He says, Jesus, man, he is this amazing depiction of somebody. I mean, who's the highest king you can imagine, and he, he stepped down from that, completely selfless. No selfishness in him to come and to serve us. He says this in verse 7. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. This is a really, really important statement. And this is what I'm talking about when we talk about, I mean, no selfishness in him. This statement that's being used where it says he gave up his divine privileges, if you read this in the original Greek, the way it's actually kind of translated is that word gave up is basically the word that the translation to ours would be to empty. It's kanao. And it means to empty, like to pour out. That Jesus poured out, emptied himself of his divinity in heaven to come to earth as a man. Just for explanation's sake, so you kind of understand this, so we get the picture in our minds, because this is really important. If we imagine that this large pitcher of water is the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God, and that Jesus is filled with the Spirit of God as he's in heaven, that it says then when he came to earth that he poured out his divinity to come to earth, that he poured it out to be able to come. Man, this is, this is intensely interesting, and it, it changes our faith. It's, it's bigger than just that statement where you're like, okay, yeah, he, he came to earth, I get it, but, it, but it's even bigger than that. What they're talking about is, is a terminology um, that it's talked about in, in people who study these scriptures and these deep things, and you think, Acts Church, we're pretty, you know, we're just kind of like right to the message, but if I can get deep with you for a second, this means that, that Jesus laid aside his divinity, to come to the earth. And this is really, really important for our faith as we read about Jesus. The term that it's called is actually what's called kenosis, and it means the emptying of God. And what it means is that when Jesus came to this earth, he didn't cheat because of his divinity, because that's, that can be the thing, right? I say, Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, and he died. And people are like, oh yeah, Jesus didn't sin. Well, duh, he's God, right? Like, that's what you can have that feeling, right? Where you're like, well, Jesus came, and he didn't sin. And you're like, yeah, he's Jesus, God. Of course he didn't sin. But what it says in the kenosis, what that belief is, is that when God come, when Jesus came, he poured out his divinity and he came in human form. And what that means is that throughout Jesus's life, the overcoming of temptation, the miracles he did on this earth, none of that was done through Jesus's divinity. It was done through his humanity by being infilled with the Holy Spirit just like any of us could be. That's what's so important about this. Because we realize that as Jesus lives an example, we can say, well, of course he's Jesus. But Jesus lived his life with no more power than any of us have available to us right now. That he simply lived a perfect connection between him and the Holy Spirit instead of a broken one like, money, like, like all of us walk in. And that everything he did, overcoming sin and healing blind eyes, all those things were done as a man by the infilling of the Holy Spirit. This kind of changes our perspective a little bit, and it's great because it gives us this beautiful picture of who we could be. But this is called that kenosis. And Paul references it as he's talking to them about about being selfish. And he says, you should be like Christ. That's what it says in verse 5. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And of course, all of us would say, well, wait a second, Paul. I don't have divinity to pour out. There's a problem there, right? You should be like Jesus. He poured out his divinity to come to this earth. And we would say, ah, 
don't have any divinity to pour out. So how do I take that, right? Now, you don't have a divinity to pour out, but, but every one of us, every one of us have a life force. Now, this is not to be science fiction-y, right? Not the force, not the force like Star Wars. Star Wars fans are like, yes, the force, finally in church. We're talking about it. I knew it. Metachlorians do exist. No, they don't. But anyways, not the force, but you have a life force. A life force, and, and to make sure that this doesn't sound too weird or super spiritual, here's what your life force consists of. Your time, your energy, your finances, and your affection. That's your life force. Your time, your energy, your finances, and your affection. Everything that happens in your life happens through those things. Everything that you make happen, the way that you communicate things, the way that you move things forward in your life, the way you show love to things, they all come through those four attributes. That's your life force. That's how you accomplish things here on earth. Your time, your energy, your finances, your affection. That's your life force. And Paul is saying to these people that all of you have this, and what he's saying to them is that I need you to step out like Christ, to have his spirit, and to pour out that life force. To pour out that life force, just like Jesus did, for others who are in need. He says, pour yourself out for others. We see this with Jesus, and this is why it becomes so important. Jesus poured out his divinity. He came to earth, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit as he was here. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, just in perfect relationship with God. And then it says that when he came to the end of his life and he died on the cross, he had no sin, so he carried our sin to the cross. Think about that. It says in the Bible, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, uh, gift of, yeah, gift of God is lo- eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And what it's saying is that basically for all of our sin, we earn death. Jesus never earned death because he never sinned. So when he comes to the cross to die, he carries someone else's sin. That's amazing, but the second half of this is just amazing. Just as amazing. Not just that he carried our sin, but it says then that at his death, he transferred his righteousness to us. Now this is amazing. During the communion supper, Jesus is talking with his disciples, and here's what he says in Luke twenty-two twenty, sitting at the last meal he has before he goes to his death. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice to you. You see, what happens is when Jesus went to the cross, he took all of his righteousness that he had earned, and it says that he poured it into our cup, that he emptied himself once again on the cross, and then that our account, our life was filled and credited with the righteousness of Christ. And all of a sudden, us who found ourselves very, very empty and very weak, we are filled with this very spirit of God, right with our life force. Man, all of our energy, all of our time, our our affection, it is increased and multiplied and quadrupled and doubled, and and it is multiplied by that, that righteousness given to us by Christ. And what Paul says is, once you've experienced that, it changes you. It changes you altogether. You're no longer the same person. He says, all of a sudden, something different happens, and and the way you look at the world changes, and the way you look at other people who are empty and lost, it changes. Because you realize that you are a lost, empty soul, 
and that God poured his righteousness into you. And as you look at them, all of a sudden you realize somebody needs to pass Christ on to them. Paul talks about this as he continues in Philippians. He says in Philippians 2, 12 through 18, referencing them and talking about himself as well. He says, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I am away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. He says, all the work that I put into you, all the energy I put in starting this, that at the end of my life, if you finish your race, it won't be useless. And listen to what he says in verse 17. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God. Just like your faithful service is an offering to God, and I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. Paul said, I'm a perfect example. Paul said, I was, I was lost and I was far away from God. And as I was traveling to go and condemn the church, Jesus met me, he changed me, he filled me with his righteousness. And he said, then as I looked at people who desperately needed it, he says, I couldn't, I couldn't possibly just hold on to this myself. He says that, that if I die today, he says, it's fine, because I realize that what I did is, is I poured out my life like a drink offering to every single one of you, that you needed, you needed a drink, and I gave up my life. My life, my time, my energy, my finances, the spirit that God had given me, I poured it out into your cups. He says, I'm an example of it. He says, once I, once I experienced this with Christ, I couldn't possibly keep it to myself. I had to pour it out and give it to you. I think it's great because Paul is encouraging us to be like him. He's saying, this is what I've done. I'm telling you, you need to do it as well. And it's great because he even references the fact that you don't have to figure this all out by himself. Did you see that verse that he says in verse 13? He says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. The desire and the power to do what pleases him. He says, listen, once Jesus has come into your life, once your account has been credited with his righteousness, once you feel that in your life force, he says, I don't need to explain every single detail to you because here's what God's going to do. God's going to begin to work in your life and he's going to give you the desire to go and pour your life out for others. Not only that, but he's going to give you the power to be able to do that too. He not only gives you the calling in your mind, he gives you the energy in your feet. That he does both. And I think it's great because Paul literally follows this up by talking about two of his best friends in ministry. And, and by God, if they aren't the perfect examples of exactly what he's saying. It's funny. He says, God will give you the desire and he will give you the power. He'll give you the want and he'll give you the energy to do it too. And he follows up by talking about two of his friends. First, he says, let me tell you about a man named Timothy. And in Philippians 2, 20 through 21, he says, I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare, desire. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. What would we call those other people? Selfish. He says, but Timothy, Timothy experienced Jesus, and he has this desire that God has rooted in his heart. He has this heart where he looks at you guys and he says, we, we must go. 
He just has this concern for the people around him. And he jumps down to them. He says, let me tell you about this other guy I have, one of my best friends. He came from Philippi, actually. His name was Epaphroditus. And he says this in Philippians 2, 29-30. Welcome him, speaking of Epaphroditus, with Christian love and with great joy. He's sending them back to him. And give him honor that people like him deserve, for he risked his life for the work of Christ. He was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. He says, man, Timothy was a picture of desire. He is a man who has his heart focused on it. He says, an Epaphroditus, he is a description of that power being sent in by God. He says, Epaphroditus was so sick, we literally thought he was going to die. Yet God gave him the energy to fight through, to continue to help us and to continue to serve. That he didn't just lay down and die, he fought through it. He says, God is, is willing to give you both the desire and the power, man, the want and the energy to be able to accomplish this. Paul is saying to Philippians, pour yourself out for others like these men. Pour yourself out for others like this man. Now we have to ask, why would Paul say this? Why would Paul say this? Because I think this is really important, and it's also really important to think about who he's saying it to. Paul is talking to the city he loves. He's not talking to some city that he, like, despises, right? Like, he planted this church, and he's like, I hate you guys. You're all a bunch of jerks. I can't stand you. Just pour yourselves out, right? No, he's talking to a church that he loves. He starts the thing by saying, I love you guys. You have the right spirit about you. Man, you have the right concern in your heart. You're really, really, man, you guys are getting it when it comes to your faith. But he says, if I can, if I can challenge you to do anything, if I, can, if I can encourage you to do one thing that's going to change your life forever, pour your lives out for others. Pour your lives out into others who need it. Why would Paul say this? I think I know why. Because Paul had seen that as he walked through his life, that the Spirit had filled him. And he had seen the fact that as he walked through his life, and as he poured himself out for others, and as he got to a place where he was, he was just about worn out, that immediately God came in with a refill. That he found that every time I poured myself out, and I was getting to the place where I was so empty and I felt so weak, that immediately God was ready with a refill. At a time when I felt weak and I felt like I had no more energy, at a time where my finances were gone, at a time when all the compassion I had in my heart felt like it was burnt out, all of a sudden I would stop and I would take a breath. And God would be ready with a refill, and all of a sudden I would be refreshed by his spirit. And that was that thing that, that, that pulled him on. You see him, he mentioned it to him. He said, if I was to die today, that I poured my life out for you. You see, he had seen God move time and time again. And this is what happens. You have this encouragement where you realize, I am walking in the, in the path that God has laid out for me. How do I know? Because I pour myself out and then I am filled back in by him. I realize that I know God is real because I've, I've experienced his, his infilling, his refill in my life after I've poured myself out. I can tell you that, that this is the story of my life. I... Um, I am in no way Paul. And um, to, to share the fact that I'm in the same thing, I, I guess I, I will say the same story, but, but please don't hear me thinking that I'm considering myself to Paul because I doubt I could have ever walked his footsteps. 
But this is the same story that I've experienced in my life. That as I've, I've served and as God grew desire in my heart for people and compassion inside of it, that I would walk down that path and I would pour out my life into other people. That I would give my, my time and my energy, that I would take time off of work or I would give sacrificially to things and I would use my finances and, and I, would, I would take time to give, to give care and compassion to people who honestly I felt so weak and I would feel so run down by it. And then I would step back and the Lord would fill me again and I would feel energized and I would walk into it again to a season where I, I burn through and I feel like I'm, I'm emptying out, I'm burning out, I'm burning out and then I would take a step back and I would breathe and, and God would refill me once again. And that was that encouragement where I realized I was walking in the steps that God had for me because he was consistently refilling my tank when it would get empty that as I poured every last bit of my cup out, that he would refill it yet once again. I can tell you that's the case of most weekends of my life. I have a really busy work week throughout the week. I don't know how many of you guys know this, but obviously as a church, um, we really try to keep our overhead low. So I'm, I still work a 40-hour-a-week job, basically, throughout the week. I do everything else I can for the church in between those different times. And when I come to a weekend coming and preaching on a Saturday night and preaching on a Sunday morning is really exhausting. And there's times where I finish Sunday and I feel like, man, I am just, I am just gassed. And then God fills me back in. And immediately I have more energy that I'll go, I'll literally walk into Saturday night service feeling more tired than when I finish Sunday afternoon service. I have more energy when I leave feeling like I know God is filling me to be able to accomplish this. And it changes your spirit. It changes the way you, you look at life. Pour yourself out for others. Let me be really real with you. Some of you guys, some of you guys have stagnant water. Some of you guys are selfish. I know that sounds painful. Some of us, we're selfish. And I'm just trying to be really real with you. Just like Paul wrote the Philippians, a church that he loved and cared for. I'm talking to you. Acts, a church that I love and care for. I know most of you. If I don't, I've shaken your hand. And, and let me tell you, even if I've only met you a few times, I'm telling you, I'm concerned about your spiritual life. Honestly, I am. And I pray for almost every person I meet in this church on a regular basis throughout the week and beg God to follow you and to lead you down the path that you're supposed to in your life. And there's some of you who Christ he filled you. You experienced that, and then you just took and you just held your cup and you've never poured anything out. And that water, when we let it sit for a long time, what happens to water when we don't move it and it just sits still? It becomes stagnant. It begins to stink. Let me tell you, some of us in this room, our faith is beginning to stink because we've never done anything with it. We've just let it sit in the cup. And you know what's even scarier? You might think, well, at least my cup is still full. No, that's the scary part. As you just let this cup sit, if I was to fill this cup up and set it on this table and leave it here for a year, it would all evaporate by the end of the year, wouldn't it? You see, you might think, well, I got my cup filled. I'm okay. But let me tell you, your cup is slowly evaporating as you're not doing anything with it. Some of us haven't done anything with our cups and the water is stagnant, and it is evaporating. And some of us, 
We've stepped out in it before. We've walked through this, and maybe we even got hurt in the past, like I was talking at the beginning. But I'm here to tell you today, you, you don't need another 10 years to heal. Today can be the day that you start over and you walk in it again. I understand something bad might have happened in a season of your life. Today is the day you need to begin again. You need to start over and begin to walk in this. There were certainly people in the church of Philippi that he was writing who had walked through that same path. But he says, begin to pour out your lives for others. Here's what's so important about that. Because you might be the person who right now, because you've never done anything with it and it's been evaporating, or you might be the person who you did in the past, and this is kind of what you have left. And you say, I don't have much water to give. And maybe you look at somebody who's mostly full and you would say, yeah, if I had that much water, sure, I would be pouring myself out for others. But I am tired and I am broke and I, I, my, my heart is hurt and I don't have any of that to give. I have so little life force to give. I can't possibly lose a drop of this because all I have left is this little bit. But I have to tell you, the reason why Paul is saying this is because he knows this to be true, and I know this to be true, so I'll say it to you. You need to pour out what you have left because that is when God refills. You can hold on to that last little bit, and that's all you'll have. Or you can pour yourself out and step back and watch as God refills. I promise you it's true. I've seen it in my life a hundred times. I've seen it in other people's lives who I love in this church a hundred times over again that as they pour themselves out, that God is faithful to refill, that he's ready. He has an endless supply of water waiting to refill your life, to refill your energy, to replenish what you have in your life, that you would pour yourselves out for others. This message is done, and it's done on purpose. I could tell you another 10, 15, 20 minutes of examples I could share a whole bunch of great stories from the Bible, certainly stories like Elijah and the, the widow that he goes to that pours out and uses the last little bit of her grain and then God replenishes it and the oil never runs out. You could read that story if you want, but the reality is, is you don't need more of a message. You need an experience. God said, he says, I am willing to give the desire and the power to do it. So either one, God is building that desire in your heart right now and you feel it, and I believe that God will then give you the power to do it. Or two, you aren't experiencing the power and you might be confused as to where your faith is really placed. Because God says he gives us this desire in our heart. Maybe it's small, but he gives it to us. So if you have no desire, then in all reality, I need you to come and talk to me because maybe your faith isn't in who you think it is. Maybe your faith isn't in Jesus. Maybe it's in religion or it's still in yourself. And that's why you don't have that desire at all. Now, two, for you people who realize I'm kind of stagnant water, my water's kind of run out, you don't need me to tell you more about this. What you need is an opportunity for you to pour yourself out and watch as God refills you. So that's why this message is over. We're done 15 minutes early. 15 minutes early. That's usually I got another 10 minutes at least in me, easily, right? The message is done, and here's the deal. The service is over. Your kids aren't even ready to be picked up. They're not ready. They're still doing their thing. You got about 10 minutes. So what I'm going to issue to you guys is if you want to pour yourself out and be refilled, here's the perfect application. There's something called Hope Week that starts in seven days. In seven days, we're going to go in our community. We're going to serve. 
We're going to use our time. We're going to use our energy. We're going to use our finances. And we're going to use our affection to share with people who need, whose cups are empty, that we love them, that Jesus loves them. So what I want to issue to you guys is to stand up with me before you leave. You don't got to do it right now. Go to guest services. Go to these tables over here and sign up and have an experience. Pour yourselves out and see if God does not refill. I promise you he will. I promise you he will. I'm going to pray for you, then I'm going to release you. I'm telling you, for real, your kids aren't ready to go. If you have kids, don't go running out there. They're going to tell them, we got another five, five minutes or so. So if you have questions about Hope Week, feel free to ask. If not, you want to hang out for a minute, that's great. But your kids aren't ready to go if you have kids, for real. You got about five, ten minutes. So I'm telling you, you got plenty of time. Oh, we got to go. We gotta... No, you don't. You would have been sitting here for another 10 or 15 minutes. I would have kept you here preaching to you for another 10 or 15 minutes. You don't need to go right now. You're getting out early. Go and sign up and see. I'm telling you, if you step out in faith, that's just like why Paul was telling the Philippians. Just pour yourselves out and watch. I'm saying the same thing to you as your pastor. Pour yourselves out and watch if God does not refill you. Pray with me as we end. Jesus, I thank you so much for this day. Thank you, God, that you laid out these these true words thousands of years ago for us. We pray that you would nudge us, that you would give us the desire, and you would give us the energy. I just thank you so much, God, for what you're going to do through all these people, and I know that you're going to refill them as they pour themselves out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, thank you.